0: In this episode we're going to be discussing the first short story of the Sword of Destiny collection, uh, that is, The Bounds of Reason. So, uh, with this one, it is uh, essentially a love story, much like The Road to No Return, with a fantasy backdrop, as well as uh, providing some interesting commentary on, on environmentalism order and chaos and the nature of people as well as standard fantasy tropes uh, on how sometimes the ridiculous or in some cases with fairy tale tropes enduring in a weird sort of way but also can be rather strange and so uh this is a very strong short story I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites but it's it's a very strong opener to this collection uh and it really establishes um, uh, after the last wish, uh, not the collection, but the actual short story, the last wish, uh, where uh, where Yen and Geralt are in the relationship, they're ebbing and flowing together with much passion, uh, 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 you know, apart with great heartache, and that they're constantly sort of looking for each other but can't uh be with each other in a in a sort of weird way that they're they don't know how to compromise, they're afraid of commitment, they're afraid of their own feelings uh, and so it, it, it's a really strong story which really sets up the tragedy of their uh, of their romance which leads into uh, Shard of Ice which is the following short story which will be interesting to talk about when we get there. So Borch, Three Jackdaws or Villain Tretanomirth, the golden dragon at the center of the story. What's interesting about him is uh, not only instantly likable but there's enough hints that he is villain Mirth the Golden Dragon long before it's revealed you know uh, Geralt making a joke when he pays for the you know the food at the end of what are you sitting on a knightly horde uh, you know th- th- there's tons of little jokes and innuendo and references and foreshadowing to say hey this is who it is it's pretty obvious when it happens but that's part of the fun of it is that we you can kind of guess where it's going and know exactly where it's going and that's and that's enjoyable in its own right but with him you have an interesting parallel to Geralt. you have a dragon who is a golden dragon golden dragons are, per- are perceived to be uh legends and myths and not true even Geralt doesn't believe they exist uh and borch Uh, when he's talking to Geralt about the different dragons, and we find out that the various different kinds of dragons, the green, uh, the red, the black, the white, the white are the rarest, green aren't actually green, they're kind of gray, you know, that kind of stuff, that potentially a golden dragon is a rare mutation. Uh, And so that that idea that he's, he's a dragon, but he's not an ordinary dragon, he's a special dragon, you know the the parallel to a witcher a human who is not really a human who's a special kind of human a mutated human um, and then you have the fact that he can take the form of a man he's a shapeshifter, uh, and he most humans find him strange and bizarre and in his dragon form something to be feared and killed to be hunted down uh, but he can mingle with humans because he finds them intriguing. Once again, Geralt, you know, he is feared amongst humans, but he can get along with certain ones and he finds them intriguing and he needs companionship, which is why he hangs out with Dandelion and Yennefer and everyone else. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, Borch, uh, you know, as villain Trettenmurth, he uh, is defending a. Uh, a child and this child um you know has the potential to become a defender uh, a defender of some kind of the downtrodden of the monsters who need protection because as we know as is demonstrated in this story you know they mon- all monsters even the sentient ones are being hunted down uh, and killed, especially dragons, but there's no reason for it. And that th- that's part of the environmental message. It's more for sport than anything else. And that parallels Geralt with Ciri, you know. Um, Ciri will become her own important person to the annals of history and time. And what that entails is neither here nor there right now. But she is, you know, to. Give it away uh I mean it's it's in the show she's been trained as a witcher a cara Mor now uh, have been in blood of elves, and villain Trenton Murth says that you know we need an offender we need a witcher of our own uh and the the idea of a witcher and what they're meant to do and what they do and and how those two contradict are very important to series ongoing story, which we will get to when we get to um. So, villain Trenton Mirth or Birch Three jaws and Geralt are two sides of the same coin, effectively that they are parallels to each other, uh, and I find that quite interesting because as much as they diverge in areas, they're also very similar. Um, and it's not the only time nor the last time we will see Geralt reflected in the eyes of a monster. Now. Ike Denell is an he's a really fun character because he's stupid, and he's a parody of the knights uh, uh, in shiny armor. Uh, the the point of this is, look at Geralt. Geralt matches, in a twisted way, the knight in shiny armor archetype. He is uh, this guy who goes out and he saves people. You know, from monsters and in uh, such as the lesser evil, he dealt with, and in the Weishman story, the sugar short story, he was trying to help a princess. Uh, so you know, he's the knight in shiny armor, but he does it for money. He was specifically created for this. This is not something he chose to do out of the kindness of his own heart or something that he does for some religious uh you know viewpoint or whatever he does it because it's what he was created to do and he does it for money then you have ike of Denel who is this very staunchly a religious knight you know he talks about the holy book the good book which is explicitly the bible it's not called the bible but as we will learn throughout the saga the holy book or the good book is actually the bible um uh, I'm not kidding you. It is literally the Bible. Uh, and that that is part of the anachronicities of this fantasy world. And is very interesting. Once we find out why those inaccuracies are there, um, it's quite interesting. But I won't get into it, and I don't think it warrants a spoiler section just to talk about why the Bible is also here. Um, because there's more interesting stuff to talk about in uh, regards to that revelation of the inaccuracies... In later bits. Um, and he doesn't accept money uh, to kill monsters. He just kills monsters and he kills them without remorse, you know. And he has. He, he He's effectively a bigot and he has these prejudices. There's no such thing as a good, pure knight who goes and saves the princess from the evil dragon, you know. Uh, he is. Uh, he hates the dwarves. Uh, he hates uh, he hates Geralt for being a different, being a witcher. He hates him for, for being a sorceress, he hates magic in general, yet he uses a magic rope to help people, uh, and he he's just kind of a hypocrite all around. And and that, that's kind of the point, is that Sapkowski is saying that in fairy tales and fantasy, we look to these noble protectors, these knights in shiny armor, uh, to give us a baseline of what is good and what is right and to vanquish evil. But in actuality, people like that in real life are just using the goodness to prop themselves up for some other goal. In the case of Ike, he's a religious fanatic and a bigot. Um, you know, in other cases, it's about ego, but for Ike, it's the the religious angle and Geralt, someone who on the face of it looks like a mercenary has more of a kind heart and goodness within him than the pure knight in shiny armor, you know, um, and the, the idea of what makes a knight, what, what qualifies a knight can a knight be noble And, uh, and kind, but not, uh, but not, you know, ludicrously so? And can a knight be impure as well as trying to be kind? Uh, or is there anything in between? Um, what really is a knight when you look at one in the mirror? Because, you know, a monster doesn't always see a monster when they look in the mirror. Neither does an angel always see an angel when they look in the mirror either. There has to be some sort of middle ground, um... And I, I like how <laughs> when he goes to charge, villain Trentmirth, villain Trentmirth just basically swats him and he's done, uh, crippled for life. You know, it's just it's the classic laughing in the face, uh, fairy tale fiction in general, but also fantasy uh, genre tropes of the 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 knight in shining armor who comes from humble beginnings, who's going to save the princess and do the right thing instantly gets flattened by the monster and that's the end of it that's all she wrote uh and that that is such a fun thing to do and the idea of knights in shiny armor and comparing them the girls is actually something that will come back in later parts of the saga uh and so uh this is sort of you know like i it's not the beginning of it. There was bits of it in uh, in some of the other short stories, but this is the most overt with it, uh, and it will be, it will come back uh, throughout. And comparing Geralt um, as sort of this inversion and subversion of a uh, of a knight in shiny armor, but making him more pure than the actual knights. Uh-huh. it's quite an interesting dichotomy. and really shows you what's at the heart of this world uh, and how uh, goodness and kindness um, are things you have to work towards. It's not something that is part of you. You have to work for it. Um, daughter Gary, what's interesting about his presence in this story uh, is that it's about environmentalism. Uh in the conversation with uh, villain or Mirth in his Borch form in Geralt in The Pensive Dragon Inn, they talk about order and chaos and how um, chaos is, you know, uh, aggressive and order has to protect against that aggressiveness. But one cannot win out on the other. They depend on each other. And uh, what defines chaos and order to other people, uh, everybody's going to have a different answer. And can the nature of Order and Chaos be changed? Uh, And then in Dordogary, we see a sorcerer who is very concerned about conservation and keeping nature the way it is and preserving order, and that The humans enroaching on the environment is causing more and more chaos. The humans inherently are chaotic. But so is the world. And so there must be a balance maintained. And 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 that's the entire point here. Uh, The environmentalism message is don't get rid of all the tech. You know, the tech helps improve lives for humans. uh, But don't go so far as to, you know... Uh, destroy the environment in attempting to help human lives, because the rest of the world, the animals, the plants, everything matters just as much. There must be a balance between technology and nature. Um, it's it's an ultimately environmentalism message, uh, and is further compounded because Geralt firmly believes in not killing dragons. That he firmly believes that there is no reason to do it. That they are they they may be described as creatures of chaos but there is no reason for that that they are just animals living out their life and in some ways they're uh, you know, uh, as we see with Borch uh, more than animals they're fully enchanted beings with their own wants and needs and desires and the ability to obtain them and so uh, you, you effectively have you know, the the look at how environmentalism is not one or the other, it can be both. You just have to balance it out and work it out correctly so there's not the harm either side. It's about balance. It's a very and I, I Geralt even calls Laura Gardner out on how his outlook is very druidic, uh, you know, balance above all, basically. Um, Nidomir is interesting because he's a kid and uh. You know, he's a teenager and he's out all going on this dragon hunt to kill this dragon uh, because, you know, he, he took Melior by, uh, you know, by force, but he needs to legitimize his claim. And there's the the old legend about the only person that can have the princess's hand in marriage is the one who kills the dragon. So they, so they need to go legitimize it, but he doesn't really care. He, he's you know he's off in his own little world his chancellor is speaking for him uh he has no agency he has no choice and it's not until the end he finally speaks up and says fuck all y'all i'm getting out of here i have enough men to uh keep my hold on this place for as long as i want who cares about legends or anything else you know He will just legitimize them in the name of the people. But you know what? I can rule by fear as well. And that's an interesting dichotomy because of future stuff that will come about. Because it's covered in the show, I'll already say, you know, uh, Nilfgaard will invade Sintra. Uh, And some of the stuff about Sintra is, you know, it has to be one continuous bloodline that they won't accept an, an outsider on the throne. And so they'll legitimize... Emir's claim they need to find Siri the Lion Club of Centra to ensure that the the line is uninterrupted and legitimize Novgard's claim to the Centred throne. And so that that's an interesting parallel here. Not sure if it was intentional by Sakkowski or not, but it is an interesting one. Uh, of course, Nidameer is uh, far more uh, uh, far more of a petulant child, angsty teenager than the Amir is by many magnitudes. But it, it's an interesting idea, uh, and the the cobbler being in the story and being part of the Nidameer storyline is interesting because there's actually a folk tale in Eastern Europe about a cobbler who um, you know uh, basically takes takes a sheep, stuffs it full of poison tricks a dragon into eating that sheep and then kills it via the poison and and by the end of it he gets the hand of the princess in marriage and blah 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 happily ever after blah 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 the cobbler's here and he's a complete another fool and an idiot and uh he just gets trashed by everybody and it's great Because it's continuing Spakowski's look at fairy tales and folk tales and trying to do either a more realistic spin on it or a spin that uh, shows that sometimes, while these stories are intriguing, they are also ludicrous at the same time. Now, the Yennefer side of this story is fascinating. So, her and Geralt have been on the outs, you know, they they stayed together for a while, uh, you know, uh, after The Last Wish, but they keep breaking up, they keep coming back together and of course as we know from the last wish her wanted her big drive is to cure her infertility and so she's after this dragon and willing to kill the dragon for the pure basis that she wants uh and hopes to find a cure through some sort of uh you know dragon part that that will be part of some sort of concoction uh you know it, it, whether whether these concoctions are true or not doesn't matter. She's willing to try. And as we know, she's completely desperate for it. You know, uh, as we saw in the Voice of Reason when she came to Neneki and kept asking for a cure that, you know, Neneki can't give her. Um, and what you have uh, is a woman who is desperately trying to get what agency she has left back. And you have... Her coming up against a man that makes her you know th- basically throws her off rhythm uh, they both are thrown off by each other and their their conversation uh, at the night when they first meet each other at the camp is just full of regret and longing they don't know how to parse each other how to deal with each other they've hurt each other so much but yet they love each other so much that there's this weird dichotomy where they can't really commit but yet they truly do love each other and they want to commit but they can't and it's just an endless cycle of regret and longing and misery that they perpetuate on themselves Uh, mainly because when they come crashing into each other all their wants and desires fade away to become each other you know, Geralt wants her, she wants Geralt and that is seen no more better than in the bridge scene when they're they're clinging on for dear life, and girl's like can't spell something, and uh, and she's like no, I can't, and, and and she's basically just sitting there, and she could have done something, but she's so busy taking him in, uh, and you know uh it, that near death experience of her not wanting to be helped. And feeling powerless because Geralt is trying to help her and simultaneously also wanting to help him and love him, basically makes her appreciate what she has in front of her right now. Uh, And so she sees Geralt and Geralt sees her and they finally go, okay. And and that really comes to a head because she keeps saying, don't call me in, don't call me in, I won't accept your apology. And then near the end... She's like, go kill villain Trenton Mirth for me. Do it. Uh, and Geralt, being who he is, you know, is more than willing to do it. He doesn't want to kill villain Trenton Mirth, but she said she wants him dead. So he's thinking about it. He's legitimately considering it. Uh, and then when Bolholt touches her, he goes into guard dog mode and is like, I will chase you to the ends of the earth. And all of this is showing that you know to each other how much they mean to each other and how uh, they both value each other's uh company and relationship and love but can't outright say it and this is so important for next uh, the next short story short advice is that there is so much there that is left unsaid but is implicitly said by their actions but sooner or later that won't be enough uh, as villain Trettenroth says, you know, even those who are different can survive. Uh, and that you are made for each other, but nothing will come of it. That, basically, Geralt and Unifer, hence the name of the short story, there are, there is a level of reason people will go to. There's logic and reasoning behind every action, except for love. Love makes you do stupid, illogical, insane things purely because... Of that feeling that feeling that cannot be replicated with any other thing love is very unique in that way and so Geralt and Yen demonstrate in the story that the bounds of reason uh, basically doesn't matter in terms of each other that they are willing to go beyond those bounds of reason beyond a logic beyond reasoning beyond any kind of sane thought pattern to love and help each other and so Regardless of what villain Tretmar says, they understand it may not come of anything, but they're going to try. They're going to try and be together and value the time they have now, whether they let it all slip by. Uh, and that's the sad thing, is that something more is required, that eventually they're incessant need for companionship but also their inability to truly process their emotions to truly talk to each other and come together and truly commit to each other will lead them to a ruin unless they have something to bind them and this is where Yen's maternal instincts come into in the play the dragon child you know the drakeling shows up and instantly takes a liking to Yen and Yen takes a liking to it you know, she's been looking for a purpose. She wants to cure infertility. She wants to wants to be valued. She wants to have legacy. She wants to have something. Uh, and Geralt is, is part of that, but it's not all. And so seeing that child sort of reaffirms that love, that, yes, you know, it may not come to anything, but, you know, let's try anyway. Let's, let, let, let's work this out. Let's hope. Because in the end, hope is all we got, and it's it, it's truly an interesting sort of story because it, it, it confirms the love, you know. Uh, as I said to Josh when I was uh, when when he asked me the question of how would I uh, do uh, the uh, my season of Witcher, you know regardless of money et cetera, Is that I, I see Last Wish, Bounds of Reason, and A Shard of Device as a three parter. Uh, Because you have the meet cute in the last wish you have the confirmation of the love that no matter how miserable and shitty things can be and how much they don't want to commit to each other But do want to commit to each other they will always have each other's back even if nothing will come to it and then the third one is the breakup where because nothing will come of it and because something else is required something more uh, you know, is required to keep them together because love only takes you so far. There has to be mutual trust and mutual respect and mutual commitment there and in the willingness to share. That, uh, that That's the tragedy of the story. And so you have this perfect linear three-parter of this this romance and I think it works really really well. But I'll get in more than that shot of ice because it is a really tragic story, but I like how it it sort of flows in a common rom com style act structure, which is fascinating in a way. And this is also Yarpin's first appearance. Uh you know, he he's fun. He, you know, he's the classic uh, you know, annoyed, constantly swearing dwarf. Uh he'll get more important stuff to do later in the saga, but it's always nice to see him and uh get to meet his company and uh get out the bond with him. It's it's just a lot of fun. Uh and of course Dandelion's here. Uh and uh the the ending the ending fight is, is quite funny because you know, Yen's got is casting spells with her legs and turning everybody into frogs and it, it it's simultaneously a heart wrenching romantic tale at the same time as being light and fluffy and funny and cozy um it can be many things just like the you know like i say about the witchers the witcher's many things it's not just dark fantasy there's more to that uh and there is something more <laughs> uh as uh you would say uh, in regards to this uh saga as a whole so the Bounce of reason isn't the best story but it is certainly a very strong one, uh, and, uh, full of fun moments and great character beats. Um, and so we go from a, a you know, romantic tale, a confirmation of love, and a light and fluffy ending with some interesting foreshadowing of the future to a very, very tragic and heart-wrenching story about everything this story was about but flipped on its head that love is you know only can take you so far something more is required josh will be joining us again and uh next time we will be talking a shard of ice which is one of my favorites until then bye